the structure of political opportunity is actually Hello, I'm J.B. Hampton Van Sant from Multicultural Bridge, and welcome to the new Pathways podcast. Specifically right now, we're going to be diving into the new Pathways Labs, co-creating an equitable and inclusive future. For today's episode, we have Whose Stories Are Emerging? This was recorded on May 21st. And the speakers that were featured at this event were Jen Smith, Don Meredith Simmons, Setsuka Winchester, and Susan Witt. Leading this lab are the CEO of Multicultural Bridge and the curator of this program, Gwendolyn Hampton Van Sant, who is joined by the moderator, Ashanti Renee. Following the session moderated by Ashanti, all of our attendants attended breakthrough sessions, and you will, at the end, hear the community report back. Um, so I'd like to kick it off with um, Jen Smith, and we're saying five minutes, so the timer will go off at four minutes, and then you can finish, okay? And if the rest of us can close our mics, just so there's not an echo, that'd be cool. Excellent. Um, well, again, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to people's stories this evening. And, you know, I hope you do take notes. Um, it's, it's been sort of a, a blessing for me as a, a journalist, actually, to, to be able to connect with people in this way because a lot of times we know that there's a big geography between us and um, we don't always get um, many voices in one room um, but I feel like that's that's happening more often um, uh, a couple of times in, in recent weeks I've, I've sat in a virtual room with with 20 early childhood directors and um, been able to hear their concerns you know in this time of COVID of, of how do we take care of our our youngest children um, and hearing their stories of um, how now more than ever they're so hyper vigilant of the different family dynamics the different resources who has access to what um, you know my observation of of what's happening now and what I'm, I'm hearing on the ground is as I talk to people every day is that a lot of issues that people are confronted with during this pandemic aren't of consequence of COVID-19. They're pre-existing conditions of what's been happening in our community, um, you know, before and now, now it's just more pronounced. Um, the, the topics when doesn't matter what story I'm, I'm covering when I ask about you know some of the biggest challenges right now it's the usual um, which shouldn't be the usual it's it's connection to broadband access to devices um, access to transportation um, access to food I think one of the great equalizers which um, uh, has sort of been breaking news this afternoon has been the opportunity now for people to get SNAP benefits and, and use those SNAP benefits to shop online. Um, for people who 
aren't don't have mobility um that's a, a huge barrier and it's the work that that people like your organizations are doing um you know having your awareness and applying it and using your voice right now to amplify to legislators and decision makers that these these are needs that need to be considered um but what i'm also noticing at the decision making table is that a lot of people who are on the ground doing the work um, are not at the table of developing these policies and decisions. Um, and so we need people not only like me and, and Setsuko with their journalism backgrounds, but people like you um, with just as much voice in this democracy um, to be the watchdogs um, of how these decisions are making are being made. Um, so at watch the process, who's, who's talking at these press conferences, um, who are we hearing from, whose expertise um, are, 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 are we hearing when people are talking about um, what decisions are made, what the community needs are. Um, if you look, for example, at Berkshire County and the reopening planning committee that the, the governor has, uh, there's, there's only one person from Berkshire County on that, Carlo Zaffanella, and he happens to be um, you know, a middle-aged white man who works at General Dynamics. Um, he's involved with a lot of things. He's on the board of, of Berkshire Community College's Board of Trustees, but that, that's just one voice representing the entire county, um, one demographic representing the entire county um, at these critical decision-making times. Um, so these are the questions I know I'm asking myself and I invite you um, to be asking those those questions as as well. Um, I think the local delegates, the legislature, um, you know, have have been trying to do their due diligence to participate in various town halls. I would say keep inviting them to your tables um, for your organizations so that um, again, you're, you're making sure that you're you're heard. Um, but what I do personally in my process, and I hope that you're doing in your organizations, is kind of self-checking your, your conscious and looking around and saying, who's missing? Um, who's missing from my table? Who's missing? Who haven't I talked to lately? Um, in my personal life, for me, that's just checking in on people and friends that I haven't talked to in a while. I have friends all over the globe. Um, you know, who haven't I seen from and, and heard from? Um, taking a few minutes out of my day to check in that way. But um, you know, as a professional level, um, it's like look auditing my own stories and saying whose voice am I missing? Um, you know, today was the first time I actually heard from a dad. I, apparently, moms are really vocal during all of this, but I, I they're missing out on on the male voice, and so it was really important for me to track it down. Um, but I'm also uh, acutely aware we're missing um, a lot of voices and covering things that are non-COVID related. Um, I, you know, in, in the Berkshires, and I'm talking all media, not only just the Eagle, um, we haven't heard a lot about um, Ahmad Arbery and, and Brooks and, and, and so many others who, you know, issues, again, that were pre-existing conditions of society um, that, that, you know, were exempt from, from COVID that um, are now ever the more pressing, especially as we head into an election year. Um, so uh, my job is never boring, um, and as long as I have folks like you, <laughs> um, you know, keeping me on my toes, um, as I mentioned in my my video talk, um, I need you. 
to hold us accountable. So please, please keep in touch with us. Thank you, Jen. Um, hi, everyone. Um, so as I said, uh, my name is Dawn Simmons. Uh, I am the artistic director of a small theater company called the Front Porch Arts Collective. We are Boston's newest black theater company, I'd say within the last 10 years. And I, I think like what's interesting about us right now, um, we, we have a I guess we're working on our model. Right now we have been attached to many other theaters doing co-productions, which has allowed us to sort of um, manage our finances um, in that we don't take on a lot of debt. The companies that we partner with um, take on the bulk of the, of the financial burden and it allows us a greater freedom to fundraise, um, to pay our staff, we work in partnership with theater companies to come up with a creative team, come up with messaging, marketing, and community engagement. And so one of the things, while at the beginning, right, people were like, this is really a great and smart model, and it buys you time to sort of really sort of figure out how do you want to maneuver in the world? What's your structure? We have talked about doing a co-leadership model, which is kind of where we are right now, to a team's model, um, we've been able to really sort of think about how we move in the world. Um, I think the problem, or not the problem, but the challenge, and if I'm really trying to bright side it, the opportunity right now <laughs> is that um, with so many organizations, um, theaters, arts organizations, organizations having to close their doors, everybody is now fighting for some of that same funding money. Um, and because we have been partnered with other organizations, um, sometimes I think we get lost in that shuffle. And so for us, it has been sort of, um, I would say this telling moment that we have had people who have wanted to support us. We have heard people in our community, in other communities say, now is the time for people of privilege to sort of step aside and change um, the equity dynamic, to use their privilege to um, help those who need it. Um, and we're sort of uh, in a place where we're, where we're like, all right, you've been saying that for the longest time. You've been aligning with us because we help you diversify your audience. We help you tell the stories that you want to tell. I mean, one of the things that we always say, we do not want to be the only organization telling the stories of the diaspora. What we want to do is to help cultivate a taste for those stories and to cultivate a place where our community knows to come, right? Um, but when we look at the larger picture and the larger ecology, what is going to keep our community working and thriving is if more companies are telling our stories and doing our work, but also doing it thoughtfully, right? Um, so with all that, sorry, I just saw the one minute warning, <laughs> like ah, all the words, oh, two minutes. Um, so I think, right. We've had all of these folks who have wanted to help us in good times. What is it now to sort of step up and, and continue to support us uh, as the road is rough? And we've been really thoughtful and we have like a little nest egg that we can keep going. And we are in such a position that we can kind of pause, but at the same time, we don't want those stories and those artists who are out of work right now um, to be forgotten. So our work is to make sure that that community and the needs of our community and the stories 
um, of our community are being told, are being thought about. So that idea of how do we push ourselves into every room that we need to be in, using our um, day jobs as a way to help us. Who are the people that we need to be talking to? Who are the other folks that we can be aligning with? Um, so I would say in what stories need to be told, whose stories need focus, one of the things that we have learned in this moment is that we are that door was kicked open just a little bit and we're continuing to force it. Um, my hope is that, right, it, it helps us in the long run um, stay fiscally solvent um, so that we can go on to produce in the next year and to em employ, right, the large number of black and brown artists in the New England community that have, right, uh, also gotten that same entryway into organizations that maybe a year ago, um, let's say, again, being generous, didn't know that they were, that they existed or that they were an option um, as folks to hire. Um, that was sort of all over the place, but that's, uh, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, right now we have uh, Satsuko next. I guess my focus is, um, I guess on the laws of our land. I feel that, um, you know, there are like, Rihanna is like the third most successful entertainer in England right now after Mick Jagger and, and uh, Paul McCartney. I mean, she is amazingly talented. And if you have the freedom to do that, like black women, black men, brown men, you know, Asian people have so, they've, they've contributed so much to American society. And if you look historically, it's just, even, even looking at the White House, you know, it's like several presidents had black slaves. They built the White House. They built the Capitol. You know, there's so many historic buildings that were built by, by slaves and black people. And, you know, they didn't get paid for it. It's almost like, why should we apologize and say, can you help us? We need to say, hey, we helped build this country. <laughs> and we've all been here since the beginning. And you need to know our stories about how we were here in the beginning, but we weren't allowed the same pay. We weren't allowed same entry. We weren't allowed the same, after working the same amount or even working twice as much, we weren't allowed to buy a home. We weren't allowed to study we study law, we couldn't become a lawyer. You know, these are all these obstacles that have existed. You know, whiteness laws, the first ones were anti-miscegenation laws. The first one was in, um, I always forget the laws, but it's, it's like Virginia was 1691 before the 13 colonies were United States. The second was Maryland, 1962. The third, colony to pass anti-miscegenation laws, meaning that white people cannot marry outside. Like if a white woman had sex with a black man, you know, she would not, she would be excluded. She would be cast, cast away. That was 1705. Massachusetts was the third, third colony. And this, this continued until, you know, when did they get? 1843. It's Black people and Native Americans were excluded, you know? 
But like Native Americans helped the pilgrims survive the winter, for example, and taught them how to plant. And, you know, there's so much knowledge that was given, you know, or stolen or not compensated for or their land. You know, there's so much that people of color have given to, to this country. And I think instead of asking and apologizing or, or like begging, we should demand that our efforts be recognized. That's all I'm saying. And then Susan, you're up. Uh, ago, I share your passion about land being returned to the commons and access made much broader. It's one of the pillars of our work at the Schumacher Center to uh, decapitalize land. Uh, so thank you for that. But also thank you for um, your yellow bowl uh, uh, photos. They were just extraordinary to use art in that sensitive way to pull out the injustices. Um, really applaud you for that. And uh, Jen, thanks for your good work at holding board at the Berkshire Eagle. You have an extraordinary leader in Frederick Rothberg who wanted a local paper, so used his own resources to assure that it was there. Um, and Gwendolyn, uh, the project I came here to talk about has its origins in the same discussions that you have. How are we going to emerge out of this COVID situation? Not with the same system, but with a different system that is a just economy, a healthy environment. How are we going to do that? Uh, it would, it's going to take a strong imagination. It's not just going to happen. It's going to be hard work. We're going to have to so clearly imagine the future we want um, in order to achieve it. And one way of imagining that future is through stories. So the Citizen Journalist project that we're bringing here, and um, Gwendolyn, are you able to put that up on the screen? Oh, on the screen, yes. Yeah. And this is like what Ashanti said about seeing in people's houses. I don't know if I want people seeing my desktop. Sorry. <laughs> it's like a scatter. No, I'm just teasing. Yes, I will pull it up. One second. Um, so this project is uh, co-produced as it were. Um, Multi-sourced. A lot of people realize the importance of of spreading stories and empowering people to tell their own stories. Um, the emerging stories, the stories of the distillery that 
pivoted quickly to make hand sanitizers because it was necessary. The stories of farms that have become, uh, have joined with other farms to be places with uh, families can get multi kinds of groceries. The stories of the great Barrington Blackman painting our crosswalks in rainbow colors. Oh my goodness, how bold is that? These are the stories that are emerging. They're emerging in every neighborhood. And let's turn all of our eyes and ears into finding those stories and telling them. Like young people telling and describing not just what is, but what they want, what they want in the future uh, for the Berkshires to become, correct? So um, we've reached out, this informal group has reached out to Berkshire Eagle, Berkshire Edge, um, to say, would you accept stories that are just offered you by citizen journalists? And all of them have said, yes, right on, bring it on. And um, we felt there should be a frame to this. So we've come up again, a group sourced with the hashtags, Berkshires Reimagine, Design Together, Stories for Change. Uh, so uh, Janet, you, your friends, your writing friends, um, could they take on such stories, place them in papers, uh, using these hashtags to identify them. Uh, can teachers assign students uh, the task of writing the emerging stories they're seeing? Um, that's what's intended with citizen journalists. We don't own it, Schumacher doesn't own it. We don't own the hashtags. We just uh, like it organically to be used. I'm complete. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so first, thank you to all the panelists that shared um, such amazing and helpful and passionate insight into what we're talking about now. I have been in communications work for nonprofits for almost two decades. And the thing, the single thing that I have that continues to happen, no matter what project I'm working on, organization I'm a director of, it is always this. Data proves a point, but stories shift the heart. Stories build empathy and stories ignite action. And that is the thing that we know is going to be um, 
a beautiful tool in our toolkit in order to do what we need to do. And so we're in the action piece of this now because then the question becomes, what does this actually look like? How do we, how do, we do this? Like, how do we, how do we do stories well? And so I want to present um, two questions to our panelists and anyone can speak to that. And then we're gonna move into some breakout sessions where you all can in real time start coming up with some strategies because we wanna make sure you walk away from this uh, session with actionable steps and things you can do next, not just like, that was a nice idea and I feel warm and fuzzy now. It's like, no, now you have deliverables, right? Um, and so the first question is, it's a bit directed at Jen. One of the things that you spoke about was like people being able to, to observe their surroundings and take inventory of their surroundings. Can you say a little bit more about how people can be the journalist, the advocate, or the accomplice in their own organization. So not even necessarily stories getting out into the media, but how are you making sure voices who are on the front lines, who are connected to what's happening, who need to be in the room, the, you know, the C-suite room or the executive team room, how are you making sure their stories and their experiences are getting to that space? Can you give people some examples and some direction on how they can do that in their own organizations or within their own circles? Sure. Sure. I think my the, the biggest appeal that I, I am making now um, that I've, I've sort of made my own transition to how, how I, I do storytelling right now, um, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, my I would say about 60-70% of the work that I do is covering in education, uh, covering education. So I'm so used to being in schools and on campuses, um, you know, interacting with teachers, um, you know, sitting on the floors of students. How do I do that in this this era um, where you know the the framework's a little different? Um, and so I learned it's as simple as asking, um, and you know, asking in a lot of ways. So it's asking, and I think now it's a challenge for leaders because they they want to be in charge, they want to be the figureheads, and and it's important. Um, but we also have to learn to delegate and peel back the, the bureaucracy of the work that organizations are doing and think about the people um, who are doing the work. So that's um, organization staff, their outreach workers, um, you know, all the people who are behind the scenes um, making things happen. And then obviously it's the, the people who are impacted, you know, who's affected by the work that you do. Um, so when I'm going to do a story, um, and when you all, whether you're as citizen journalists, whether you're working on your own newsletter, it's, um, you know, asking yourself who, who, um, who can reflect the work best, whose story um, tells, shows, um, not tells uh, the, the work that I'm doing. So, um, you know, I could give you an example this, this week, I um, wanted to understand how emergency childcare was working and I, you know, initially was told like, oh, you know, uh, we can have you Zoom with a, a bunch of the directors and, and staff. And I'm like, okay, but that still doesn't show me like, what does a classroom look like? You know, um, how do you do social distance with, you know, three-year-olds versus fifth graders? Um, I need to know what that looks like. Um, so I just asked, I said, you know, I want everyone to be safe, but can I, can I come down? Can I see, um, you know, tell me your safety protocol. So I'm meeting people where they're at, where they're comfortable. Um, and then we made it work and it was so much better. Um, you know, I heard from a child 
who, you know, when I asked him, he's eight years old, I was like, you know, what is this experience like for you? And he does to me, he's just like shrugs like an eight-year-old does. And he's like, it's weird. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't hear that from, a, you know, a teacher, a director. Um, and then he went on to tell me about, learned about, like, he's scared that his dad has to go to a, a hospital every day. And he wonders what's coming through the door. And he misses his friends. Um, you know, things get tough with his sisters, you know. Those, like you said, something are the things that, that pull the heartstrings. It tells more than the data. And so we, we just have to take time to ask. Um, we might have to figure out how to do things safely. Um, mm -hmm. That's definitely important. Um, but remembering that there's multiple people and multiple voices involved with our stories. And I think it's also thinking about how we're asking questions. I'm going to post in the chat in a minute um, a document that I really love. It's um, called Listening is an Act of Love. Anyone who's um, a fan of StoryCorps on NPR might be familiar with this, um, but they have a teacher's guide with great questions, and it's great questions for anyone, um, whether you're a parent having a conversation with your child or someone talking to your neighbor, trying to learn more. It gets to the, the heart and humanity of what we're doing. And then uh, it's also doing the opposite of what I'm doing right now, which is not talking, but listening. Um, you know, when I say, and when I, I love this phrase, listening is an act of love, it's, it's acknowledging who you are. It's saying you have value. It's saying you're important. And that takes the time to step back and listen mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and leave that pause and let the stories happen. So if I'm hearing you correct, first, thank you for that. Um, and if I'm hearing you correctly, it's as simple as no matter where you are, what industry you're in, what circles you're interacting with, do an inventory of what's around you, ask people if they want to share their stories and then be quiet. <laughs> Let them share their stories. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then pause. Um, thank you for that. Uh, I, I deeply appreciate it. Um, the second question is, is for, for anyone to answer and anyone to share. And I want this to be more specific to the areas that you live in. We, we generally say we need to tell other people's stories, right? We, we like to say, like, we just want to tell other people's stories. Well, in this new pathways and this bridge changing and this bridge building, we're going to name the stories. Whose story do we need to tell? I would love for, for all of the um, panelists to, to just give a specific one or two groups or entities or whatever where their story needs to be shared and it doesn't necessarily have to stay in this the place of race because we have all types of isms like in anyone that's connected to any of the isms right and so i would love to hear specifically in your area in your in your neighborhood in your sphere of influence in your circle whose stories need to be told and as people hear that start thinking about how you can start elevating those stories um, can I go? Yes, um, you can. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, I, as a, as a former journalist, looking at how journalism covered certain groups, especially my group, Japanese Americans, there was a lot of fear. You know, all the major newspapers did it. The Hearst newspapers, uh, Miller Freeman, the McClatchy group. McClatchy group owns lots and lots of small newspapers all over the nation. Um, the AP, uh, 
the New York Times. Um, and there was, they were not allowed to defend themselves. And the kind of stuff that's going on today is like this, you know? It's like, thanks, chinks. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, there's, there's no way to defend yourself. And, and there's so much China, China, China. Like when I was growing up in the 80s, it was Japan, Japan, Japan. The New York Times had on its front covers almost every day, the Japanese are taking over. That's what I grew up with. I have a, a front page cover that says, uh, Japan buys the center of New York. And I'm like, Japan, but Japan, what do you mean by Japan? The Japanese government, the Japanese people, um, Japanese what, <laughs> you know? And what's the center of New York? What does that mean? It, it's, it's very, very scary. And they do that all the time. When they start fear mongering Asian people, it's, it's a pattern. It's a pattern when the economy, uh, you know, starts to falter and it's happened time and time again. And it's a way to distract people from the problems in society that the leaders cannot solve. And it's easy to point fingers. It's China's fault. It's these, you know, Mexican people's fault. Mexican people, the undocumented immigrants have the least power in our society. How can it be their fault? They didn't write these laws. You know, they're invited by somebody. Somebody invited them, you know? So if they're invited, they should be protected like everyone else, you know? And we could, if we all do that for everyone, mm -hmm. then, you know, it would make a much better society, I think. Absolutely. So one of the groups you would definitely want to have highlighted or and not even highlighted, just elevated and yeah. make sure their experience isn't invisible because that often yes. happens. Yes. Um, yes. Specifically with Asian Americans. Or, or the fear, you know, fear mongered. And right. if, if someone's being fear mongered, you have to look at what actual power they really have in your country, you know? Oh, absolutely. Even like Chinese products, we are buying them. You know, everybody shops at Walmart or whatever. Stop buying at Walmart then. Punish Walmart. Don't punish, you know, it's not, don't attack China. Now we're going to go to a war with China because Walmart, you know, is shipping over all this stuff right. from China. It's not their fault. No, who's going to fight? Do you know who's going to fight in that? It's poor, poor white people and people of color end up fighting all the wars. Like Vietnam, it was majority poor Southern white boys and um, black boys from, from Chicago or the North. And, uh, you know, and Asian kids, like, you know, Filipinos. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So if I'm That's hearing correctly, like we definitely need to make sure we're bringing the, the Asian American experience into this conversation because yes. they caught in this weird limbo of not being in the white conversation and not being minority enough to be in the minority conversation. Well, you know, and I'll tell you, horrible, horrible, well, hold on, which is a horrible divisive piece. And I want to make sure we get a couple more people from the panel to get a chance to share. And we'll definitely, I would do want to come back to that though. But Stephanie, would you like to give any insight as to different groups that may just actual voices, actual experiences, actual entities that need to be in the conversation right now and just actually name that? Did you say Stephanie? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm looking at you. You can't tell that. Oh, there are new paths that we presented. Like, oh. Okay. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. So many, so many people's voices are not heard. Women, um, you know, people that are disabled, They're the stories that are just put to the margins. And so many people are not at these tables and people are making decisions. And it is quite scary because they're going to go right back. Unless all these people tell their stories, they're centered. People can understand how they're truly living because I think we have some kind of, um, it's not real. It's, it's an illusion can that we are living this way or that way. Can you, can you say they, more about that, the, the illusion piece? They think that people are living a certain way when they truly are not. They truly are not living that way. And you know what? They're using their own culture or their own background or their own way they live, and they're putting it on people that, that it's not true. That's not how they're living. That is not in their, you know, mind or how they truly are in the world. And, and that illusion can really mess up some people. I mean, I was, I was actually in a meeting today that they were saying that if you want to get food in a certain town in Berkshire County, you have to go to the police department. I don't know too many black or brown people that are going to go to the police department to get food. I just don't know. They won't be comfortable. You know, that's, that's not going to be what they're going to be doing. Right. It's too right. scary. And, so, and their lives are, will be hanging in the balance if they do that, because anything could be called, it could be seen as aggressive and next thing, you know. So, I mean, look at the whole group of people in that town that aren't going to get any food if they need it. That's such a great point. Um, speaking to like the false choices that people who live in certain, certain whatever the margin might be, who was, who was ever attacked by whatever the ism might be, uh, the false choice they have to make between survival and whatever the other need is. And that's not a real that's choice, right? right? Um, I would yeah. love to hear from Don and Susan. Right now we have the Asian American community, um, women, anyone who's in the disabled or differently abled community. Um, who else, who, who else needs to be in these conversations? Who else's stories need to be elevated? Well, right. I think all of those stories, um, but like to me, it, it speaks more to, it feels like right now we're centering the stories um, of people with economic uh, means, wealth, um, ability, and right there is a sort of uh, class or socioeconomic piece that feels a little like, that sort of groups us all together, whether that is um, Black, Latinx, Asian, uh, female, um, non-binary, right? Uh, the, uh, uh, the disability community, like all, all of that sort of falls into this, uh, this other. And I don't know that like any of our stories are being centered in the way that they need to, right? Like there is this giant pie and we all need a slice, right? And like 50 to 75% of that pie is like focusing and centering. Uh, it feels like people with economic means so right how, how do we push back and like uh 
even it out. Um, mm -hmm. And I am like, one of the things that I really remember, actually, this idea that like, right, um, I would say in Boston, closer to the city, like the Asian community as a whole, right, like Chinatown in the beginning got shut down, so to speak, right, like restaurants, people stopped going. Um, I heard like, I heard tell that um, there was some really scary um, race baiting going on. And it like, again, it was, it was out of my purview because I'm so focused on my like black female, like this is the story I'm trying to tell that like, there was a moment where I was like, wait, what? This is happening. And like, how, what, how come I'm not hearing this? How am I so focused? So like, I mean, I think all of our stories, like they all need equal, equal weight. And we have to understand that like the, the stories are different and the priorities are different. Um, but we need to know what they are, right? So that like whatever small bit of privilege I might have, I can leverage for somebody else um, and so on and so on and so on. Um, so, right, like all, all of that is to say like, eh, everybody's a special snowflake. <laughs> but, but it's still it's true. It's true, right? Like we have the deficit model around funding. But there's also a deficit mindset when it comes to whose story is most important. So it's almost this oppression right. Olympic. Right. Who's the most pain right, right. now? And yeah. The, and the issue shift is, it's the abundance model. Everyone's story is important because if anyone is left behind, then we're all left behind. Then we're all left behind. Exactly. Jen raised her hand, uh, well, wanted to say something. I know we have a few people that have raised their hands. If we can't get to you because we want to make sure we get the panelists, we'll make sure you speak in the, um, the breakout sessions as well, or you can put your question in the chat. So Jen, I know you wanted to respond, and then Susan, we would also love to hear from you. Well, um, I, I'll, I'll default to, to Susan first because I, I had a lot to say, and I'll still have a lot to say, and I, I'm taking notes so we can get back to me. Say more. We have to hear from young people what they want to see in their future. That voice has to be strengthened. That voice has to be empowered. The other thing is, I think, um, some of the most creative energy at this time lies with our small businesses. They're hurting, but they're finding ways to change, to adjust to the new situation. I'd almost like to go to every restaurant that has had to move from sit down to curbside and say, what's it like? How did you do it? How did you come to it? Uh, there's so much tremendous good energy right now in our small businesses in this community. They're leading the way in adapting to a new, um, new way of doing business and we need to watch them and understand them and learn from them. So youth and small businesses. That is so true. Um, They're giving us the answers, right? Like they are giving us the answers right now. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you all. Um, 
Real quick, Gwendolyn, how much time do we have before we want to get folks into the breakout sessions to just like dive in? I think while everyone's ripe and people have questions, I think we just go in. Is it going? It's because they go into the groups, you know, right. because the energy is right there. Oh. And then come back. Not, not here. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> I know you're excited. Is that okay? What do you think? I'm, I'm loving how this works, and I kind of like everyone being able to see each other and keep it going. So let's just keep it here. Okay. Free, free flowing, free flowing right now. Um, Jen, you wanted to say something, and then we will get Wendy to pop in with her thought question and genius comments. Yeah, I just wanted to to echo, um, you know, some of the things that I was hearing as, as listening to everyone's responses, and I think, um, you know, the 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 learning deficit that we have to do as, you know, it's, it's one thing to say like, yes, we need these stories. Um, we also have to be really mindful. So one of the other big parts of the conversations I've been having lately is mental health and um, how people are coping mentally. And so sometimes I have to be really careful um, understanding, you know, where someone's coming from and, you know, are they speaking from a raw place um do they need time to process what they're going to say before i tell their story um because i think a lot of times i've seen people where they come out and their their quote or their soundbite is really anger or angsty and yes by technical standards that makes good good news or interesting news but then once they've had time to step back and reflect that person feels really different about it but we as storytellers don't always go back to that person and follow up um, so we need to be really careful and mindful of that, um, you know, making sure people are, are safe too. Um, you know, I have some people who, who want to tell me their story, but they're still afraid of repercussions from their businesses, um, especially if they work in a corporate setting. Um, so that's something I, I want to say to be careful about too. And, and kind of going to what, like back to what Stephanie was saying about, how people might not feel safe in certain situations, like you know, getting food from a police department if you have historically bad or, or mistrustful connection. Um, you know, it's it's the same idea is that some people are mistrustful of media, and I mean that in a broad term um, of telling your stories because maybe and historically we've got it wrong. Um, you know, we um, you know called like uh, I, I I wish I had that. I had a Nicole Jones article of, of um, she just won the Pulitzer from a paper that totally um, lambasted Ida B. Wells um, and, you know, called her essentially like a black ne'er-do-well. Um, and mm -hmm. so we have to be careful of, of those, those stories and, and kind of earning trust with people and explaining the process clearly. You know, going back to that eight-year-old boy that I was talking with, I had to remember that's the first time maybe that he's being interviewed. Um, so I leave space for him to ask questions and say like, you know, how is this going to be used? And I think we need then to be transparent with the people we're talking to, to say, you know, this is how it's going to go. So if, if you're planning on featuring someone in a newsletter or using their soundboy for something, give them that context and understanding so that they don't feel shocked later or betrayed later. Um, and that they, they, trust your organization um you know that's that's something you know we can in all the excitement of telling stories and something that sounds really juicy to us we also have to be mindful what's the impact 
Um, and are we doing minimal harm while we're, we're, we're sharing that story? Because um, right now there, there is so much vulnerability. Um, so we have to honor that, that, that space of, of vulnerability. Absolutely, absolutely. So Wendy. Um, just a couple of other ideas for groups. Um, I think that if we have any undocumented um, workers or undocumented populations that um, we should talk to them um, because their perspective would certainly be um, different. Um, also specifically um, non-arts non gig workers, um, there are a lot of people in the gig economy and um, you know, certainly a lot of them are arts workers and they've got a whole thing, but the non-arts workers are like, that. that's just a, a specific um, niche that I think, um, this is something I was actually talking um, with Kate, my, my co-chair at Berkshire's about earlier today, and um, they are likely to have a, a particular perspective um, that, you know, they could really be left behind in, in, in the current situation. Um, also related to um, who's at the table and who's not at the table and, you know, who you have to sort of go crawling on your belly to um, beg for um, this and that from. Um, nonprofits and the whole um, funding of uh, the the wonderful work that nonprofits do um, that whole um, system is is broken really um, or it it evolved in an era um, in a different era and it no longer serves appropriately and we are in a time that has allowed us to stop and pause and say what do we want the future to look like and what are we going to build and if we have the opportunity to build something new i think that um not only should people of color and, and people of you know, women and youth and all these other people, should their stories be told? But I think stories of nonprofits should also be told um, because they should be at the table to build the, what the future should look like in terms of a new system that doesn't have the people that are providing service and the people that are providing solace and the people that are providing um, the very structures that are holding it all together during this crisis shouldn't be crawling on their bellies begging for funding and and crumbs um, from you know the the wealthiest who have earned what they've earned on the backs of the slaves and you know just sort of I'm just sort of riffing on uh, what Setsuko got us going with earlier, but you know, I think it's all part of the same part of the same mess. Can I, can I add something as somebody who worked for for a nonprofit? I think one of the dangers of nonprofit, especially in journalism, is that um, you know the big donors get to have a say. 
yes. to start censoring. And actually I have, I, my voice was censored. I can't, I, I, I should say it. I don't want to cause trouble, but in the Berkshires and in New York City and some major institutions, my project was removed because big donors said they did not want this story associated with their hero FDR. So, you know, that's why some of the, the, the bad things done by good men are the things that continue. You know, mm. that's why that's the most dangerous. Good things done by, but if we were keeping a thing of quotes, okay, I like that. Good, bad, ooh, bad right. things done by good men are continuing. Because I have the memory of Dory. So we toss just one, one last thought before I, I relinquish and, and then I will be complete. Um, and that is, I, I just have a, a, a quick, maybe an idea, um, something that came up, up in another meeting. Um, somebody said in that meeting, um, you know, people I want, people I know just want to go back to normal. And I said, really? I, who really wants to just go back to normal? I mean, Give me an example of somebody you know who wants to go back to normal, like just the way it was, because everybody I know uh, <laughs> has a lot of things about what they've been going through that they really kind of like and would like want to keep. I mean, I think we all have things we do want to return to and a lot of things that we like better about the new normal. So I think that would be a wonderful, you know, stick the microphone in their, in, in their face and say, hey, you know, do you want to go back to normal? Back to the world. I mean, I think that's a good question to ask a lot of different type of people and all of these other, uh, all of these groups that we're talking about, you know, who wants to go back to normal and who doesn't want to go back to normal? I think it's a great question. You know, also, I in the, in the um, breakout session. <laughs> Can I just say one thing? One of the, I forgot who said it, but they said that the one representative for the Berkshires was General Dynamics. I find that sort of disturbing. Hmm. You know, they're creating um, guided nuclear, you know, guided missiles, you know, parts for nuclear, you know, submarines. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure that's going to bring a lot of jobs to our area, but I mean, is that, is that the kind of world we want? You know, maybe that's another question we should ask, like what kind of businesses should be getting the help and aid from our, you know, taxpayers and government, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it should, maybe we want the small farmers and we don't want to, you know, give tax breaks to, you know, general dynamics. I mean, look what happened with GE. GE came, made a mess, you know, left a, you know, environmental disaster. And then they didn't move to China. We, we actually drove across the country and we, we ran into people who lived in Pittsfield and had moved along with the move that GE made to Iowa, I believe. It was in Iowa. And they said that, you know, let's say there were 10,000 people, they let, let go of 6,000, they took 4,000 people with them and created a new factory in Iowa because it was cheaper to build a brand new factory than to rejigger the old one and to clean up the mess. So they moved to Iowa and we said, so 
are, you know, how are you doing here? Do you like it? So they said, well, we're retiring because GE is moving again. And GE was moving to Texas. They were building another new factory because this one was getting old and they were rebuilding a new one that was only going to have like 2,000 people now. So it's, it's happening like all across the board. Yeah, so, so even if you bring in general dynamics, you know, they may need 5,000 people now, but maybe, you know, because of automation and all kinds of innovation, they might just have robots that could do everything, you know, like, like um, who's a FedEx? It's either mm-hmm. FedEx or Amazon is going to build a beehive, right? One of them is going to build a beehive that can deliver all to your home, to your porch. Right. So the delivery man, the driver, that job is going to be gone. So, you know, maybe, you know, we should, as citizens, as a state, as a county, you know, think about what kind of businesses do we want? You know, who do we want to support the kind of work that you want to do, that you want to do, that she wants to do, you know, so that we can all live together and survive rather than all the aid going to someone like General Dynamics, who's going to take all the tax dollars and then leave in, in like 10 years. Right. I mean, that, that goes back perfectly to Susan's point, focusing on, on the small businesses. I exactly. want to make sure we get to Lisa and then to Stephanie, and then you'll go into your, your breakout sessions. Um, great. I, um, I'm appreciating the conversation and I wanted to, um, to share one thing that's on my mind is um, thinking about entwined stories. So when Dawn was talking about the collaborations um, with the different theater companies, um, it was making me think about, I, I started to sort of interrogate my own work and thinking about where am I, what stories am I not elevating? Where, where might that be different? Um, and at the top of the conversation when we were doing inter- introductions, um, I was frustrated after I introduced myself because I neglected to talk about um, the work with the Institute for Arts and Humanities at MCLA, that it couldn't exist without the previous work of Bridge, bu- building a foundation. Um, but it also couldn't, you know, I, I'm also remiss not to mention it building on the work of arts organizations around the county like WAM and others. Um, really doing deep work. And so just going back to Ashanti's um, invitation to think about action steps, I think one thing for me is to take a, um, I just made a note to take time to do some writing around um, the stories that helped build my story, um, the shoulders I'm standing on, the the regional build, um, and, and to be much more intentional about making that explicit. Um, instead of having it happen or not. Could you say a little bit more about making it explicit? I yeah, love so, going with it, but I just, I want you to. Yeah. So, um, so in the last, you know, I'm also part of the train, the trainers and, and I, we had d- did introductions and I did a very different introduction there. And there's been several times where I'm, I'm, you know, there's so much to say about the collaboration with bridge, the collaboration with the arts community here and really thinking about the momentum we have around um, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and so I can't. It it's it's a web, and so I, for me, it means being really clear about who I want to highlight, the work that's come before, and why it's important. But doing it in like a little elevator, 
pitch mm-hmm. so that it's a, it happens naturally, that I'm giving those acknowledgements. And I'm thinking about um, a term that I learned in, um, through Gwendolyn, and I, I think it's relevant here, the extraction. If you're not doing that, then, then you're perhaps um, taking credit for other people's work and stories without acknowledgement. So, so I feel like there's, there's more work to be really intentional and be explicit, if that's... No, that was perfect. It, it was in there, and I just, I wanted you to say it. I wanted you to bring it into the room. Thank you. Thank uh, And we will close out, not close out, but transition with Stephanie, and then we'll move to our uh, breakout sessions. I, I really want to bring into the room right now the, the community that was most impacted for COVID-19, and that was the elderly Black. Those um, people had health, underlining health issues, diabetes, obesity, all, hypertension, and it was through racism. PSAP would say racism plus all that sickness and those elderly Black our wisdom, our pearls of wisdom were taken away from us for COVID-19. And I really do want to lift them up right now because so many families, Black families, are in mourning. They couldn't be with their people. They were taken into those hospitals and they, the, the family couldn't say goodbye. So I, I really want to lift that up and and it was it was caused through this racism this the system and structures that have been put in place been here and still seem like it's wanting to go on, uh, still want to go on and i'm saying we can't go back to that so whoever's saying they want to go back to the normal no that is killing people so we can't go back to that old way thank you thank I'm you thank you i'll agree like we're not going back. The, the one story we can all say that we're going to uplift is we are not going back. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the collective story for tonight's session. We ain't back. Group one, please share. This is you, Lisa. Please share for your group. Let's unmute you. There you go. Okay, great. Um, all right. So um, I'm going to start with where we ended, which is, was really um, very pro- provocative. Uh, we were just talking about um, how often in meetings you'll hear people say, this is a great opportunity to, um, and just the counterpoint that it's, that uh, depending on who you're talking to, that they may have a very different opinion that there is no opportunity. Um, and, and to really think about that um, and who has privilege and uh, how that affects the story being told about COVID. Um, uh, we also talked about being more mindful um, to consider how is the story best told, who needs to tell, who needs to hear, um, thinking about how stories branch out. Um, and then a lot of conversation about the need to slow down and pause and reflect. Um, there were articles mentioned from the New York Times, the America we need, uh, the cities we need, and um, taking time to revision, um, but also finding our own anchor points. I'll stop there. I'll just stop there. <laughs> okay. So Don has, Don has to leave. Oh, there she went. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, Don. That was her group. Okay. Um, oh, that Lisa, Don was in your group? 
Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for that. That was a great way to kick that off. Group two. Who's group two? Who's sharing for group two? Jen's group. Jen Smith's group. Okay. So um, our uh, my group was uh, uh, Donna, Sam, and Marianne. Um, so I'm asking you all to hold me accountable in case I had terrible note taking. Um, uh, but we kind of focused on um, some things that that still resonated us about storytelling um, and the, the kinds of storytelling we're doing. Um, so Sam had had mentioned um, the the concepts of you know representation and also representing groups and stories accurately. Um, uh, also, when it comes to youth, um, you know, get honoring their authentic stories and voices. Um, Donna was thinking about at first how to take and translate tonight's conversation into um, the the workplace, um, but also making sure how when you're telling those stories, um, how they're actually helping the community, and and um, that there's there's a way to to do that as well. Um, you know, how do you share those background stories? I think that that um, Lisa was m mentioning. Um, and then for Marianne had mentioned the idea of, um, you know, sometimes we're in our silos and we only talk to people who, um, you know, we relate to whether it's um, by, by age or by proximity, um, but how do you make things, conversations, connections more intergenerational and how do you create the space to allow that to happen, um, you know, so that you can find common ground to to share that. Um, and then the, the final thing that kind of came up was um, how do we acknowledge, as um, Setsuko was talking about earlier, um, the history of the diversity that already existed in the Berkshires. Um, you know, some people will say here, you know, the county's so white or something, um, but that wasn't always the case. You know, uh, here in North Adams, where I am, there is um, a, a time where there's Asian workers and, and um, people from other races and ethnicities. So how do we make sure those stories don't get erased? Ooh, thank you. Okay. That was perfect, yeah. Jen. Thank you. <laughs> thank you all. Okay, group three. That's close group, right? You're muted. Um, Who's reporting? Yeah. yeah, so I'm reporting back for our group. Um, so it's yeah, Setsuko, Danya, Stephanie, and I. Um, and we talked about um, yeah, uh, Danya talked about leading uh, or you know showing up in her faith and with her values ever present um, and the modeling her values. Um, talked about. Um, like relationship building, that's one thing that I've learned through my work um, at Bridge is, um, you know, this work is relational. So um, how to build relationships and also looking for building relationships um, with people who aren't like us and really like pushing ourselves uh, in that discomfort. Um, we focus a lot on um, the stories um, of, um, essential workers and like how that has shifted um, um, since COVID of thinking about what it actually means and how um, we can treat people um, 
with respect and um, and that sort of led into the, the a question that Tesco asked is what can we do as a community um, to tell these stories and to and, and what should be done you know when listening to the stories so we talked a lot about like health how um, healthcare maybe shouldn't be attached to employment um, in the US at least um, and that um, you know everyone deserves to feel safe inside of our public institutions. Um, so how to achieve that? We just sort of asked the question. Um, we tried to ground it more, so that was sort of like at an institutional level and we tried to ground it more about like what we can do as individuals and sort of interpersonally um, using a you know, bridges model. Um, so yeah, building, we focus more on back to circle back on like the building relationships. Um, Stephanie, um, advocated for taking risks to speak up um, in taking those risks, especially in this time. And um, I think that's about it. Yeah. Are we complete? Here. <laughs> okay, a lot of good questions for us to think through. And yeah. group four? Um, in that group was Chinsera, Wendy and Kristen. And Chinsira gave us this wonderful image to imagine as we're telling stories. And that is to think of the tapestry with multiple threads of many colors and many sizes and almost strive for that tapestry in our storytelling to figure out how we can add more stories and more color and more variety. And then um, Kristen, um, she kind of shook me by saying, well, there are stories that in our liberal world we regularly ignore. And that might be uh, the poor and the white who are in despair. The, the economy is not working and there's a turning to um, drugs and other habits. And let's make sure to find out what's going on there. It's here in the virtues as well, and include those that story in our or those stories in our tapestry. And Wendy again shook me by saying, "Let's remember not to label everyone. There are many ways that people feel marginalized." Um, many ways, not just income, not just race, uh, uh, not just health. Uh, so let's not take any story for granted from what you see on the outside, but take the time to ask and explore that. But I left it early, so Chinsura, 
Kristen, Wendy, what did I leave out? They, they all got the thumbs up. Just whatever you were going to add. Right, because we were, we were already in the synergy of humans being at the center, and we yeah. were transforming our new world, so we're good. <laughs> we just want... We're all transformed. We're done. We did it. <laughs> the war is complete. <laughs> I like that. I right. love it. I love it. Um, thank you. Thank you all for such insightful and thoughtful and courageous responses. Um, and so I don't believe anything is by chance. I don't believe anything is by circumstance. And so we are really ultimately talking about narrative shifting work. And narrative shifting work is hard, but shifting the narrative shifts, shifts the culture, shifting the culture shifts policy. And so I would like to invite you to your narrative shifting family right now. So when we send this information out, uh, stay connected. You, you, I heard a lot of questions and a lot of things that we need to drill down into. When you get these questions, start working with each other. I invite you to work with each other in all of your different respective areas to figure out how do we start answering these questions. Let this not be, let tonight not be the end, but the launch pad for how you're going to get these questions answered. Like, don't let it go to waste. And so, hello, Narrative Changing Group at Berkshire. How you doing? Nice to meet hey, you. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't y'all a lively group? Glad to know you. All right. Well, thank you for allowing me the honor to be connected to this one. And I'll pass it back to you. Yeah. And that was a great conclusion, Ashanti. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> um, I just want to thank you all again for being here. And I think um, Lisa brought it up earlier, but just thinking of the original starting point tonight about whose stories are emerging, just taking that care about how we tell stories and how they're presented is really important. In these last eight weeks, we've been challenged to take care of community and be with the vulnerable communities and not have their stories explo exploited to get the next round of funding or to make our volunteers feel like they're doing something special. It's really about people and preserving humanity. So when we're talking about narrative and stories, think about really the, the intention behind them and preserving humanity for all of us. So that's the only closing thought that I have for you. But again, deep gratitude, um, a lot of warmth for showing up for New Pathways Labs. We did it, all of us, we're all here. Thank you. Um, please show up for some more because I think this is exactly what I envisioned, um, not having a, really, a script for everything that would happen, but just knowing that the right people will be in the space and we'll have good conversations. So thank you okay. so much. Can we give a quick, like, everyone oh. come off mute and a loud thank you to Gwendolyn, because this is not easy to put together. Thank you, Gwendolyn. Thank you, Gwendolyn. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. Wait, wait. We have take a picture. A picture, but also, yes. can, we, can we humor Gwendolyn in, that big, in the gratitude of just one word of how you're leaving this evening? And mine is fulfilled. Inspired. Hopeful. Affirmed. Renewed. Mm. Activated. Ready. Right. <laughs> Freshened. Curious. Family.
Family mm. curious. Who didn't go? Motivated. Action. Oh, of course. My word would be action. Thank you. Okay. And then motivated. Yeah. Transform. Transform. Woo. Yeah. All right. Are we good? Thank are we you for complete? joining us. Uh, we wanted to thank our sustaining bridge donors and members and our new Pathways sponsors, the Pumpkin Foundation, the Moonlight Mile Fund, Berkshire COVID Response from the United Way, and Taconic Community Foundation, the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, MCLA, and the Crane Foundation. Thank you for joining us, and stay safe out there. This is our great opportunity, I think, to create great change.